Good morning. First of all, I'd like to thank the elders for this opportunity to speak before you. Um, hopefully, um, we'll all have some value that this imparts. The verse of the week is from Hebrews 11, verses 32 and 30 through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is at the tail end of Hebrews chapter 11, what is sometimes known as the Hall of Fame of the Faithful. And the Hebrews writer goes into detail all throughout Hebrews chapter 11 until he gets to this point and just kind of throws a list of names at us. And some of those names are familiar. Um, I kind of sort of recognize the name of Gideon. Barak, not so sure about that one. Samson, well-known. Jephthah, my first reaction is, who's that? (laughs) And then it talks about David and Samuel and more familiar names. It's like there's this list of stories, a mix of stories we kind of sort of know and stories we don't know that are kind of crying out for us to go look those names up and find out why were they included in this list of the faithful. But among that list is one that just kind of jumps out as, well, wait a minute, what is David doing in here? That's a name we know really well. We know his story. So why is he even listed here but no details? Except that it sounds like some of the details are there. When you look at the list of things that these people accomplished... You get to the tail end of this description, and the phrases were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. What's that bring to mind? Doesn't it kind of remind you of the story of David and Goliath? And so, why does the writer of Hebrews want us to go investigate this story that we know. Maybe because we don't really know it. Maybe it's a story that's so familiar, we think we know about it, we get to that story and go, yeah, 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 I know this one, move on, move on. It seems like the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us, wait a minute, Slow down, take a look at the details, and in the context of the Hall of Fame of the Faithful, what is it that God is trying to tell us when he recorded the details of this story? You see, this story is so familiar. Even our neighbors and co-workers who are not Christians, know about this story, right? 
When, when you think about David versus Goliath, what, do you, what come, pops into your head? The underdog overcoming insurmountable odds, right? But is that really the point of the story? That's what our culture is trying to tell us, the meaning that we're supposed to place on that story. But is that really the right lesson? Is that the lesson God wants us to get from this? You know, I'm always leery about using what is known as common knowledge when it comes to understanding the Bible. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, kind of warns us about this, doesn't it? The Apostle Paul tells us, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So when we're talking about the Bible and how to understand it, it's probably not a good idea to take our understanding from the world. Because if they truly understood, they would be here. They would be like our new brothers and sisters in Christ who decided, wait a minute, this makes sense. This is true. This is what I'm going to do. So, when we look at the details of the story of David and Goliath, we need to look at the context. Because as has been told to me quite often, any verse quoted out of context is a pretext. We need to look at the entire story to find out what God is trying to tell us. And we're going to find out that it's not really a story about the underdog. It's a story about what voices we are going to listen to. This is a story about all the competing voices that bombard us throughout our lives and which ones we should be listening to and following. There's a contemporary Christian song called The Voice of Truth. And part of the lyrics go like this. Oh, what I would do to have the kind of strength it takes to stand before a giant with just a sling and a stone. But the giant's calling out my name and he laughs at me, reminding me of all the times I've tried before and failed. The giant keeps on telling me time and time again, boy, you'll never win. You'll never win. But the voice of truth tells me a different story. So let's look at what the voice of truth, God's word, has to tell us from the story of David and Goliath. We'll find this in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17. And it starts this way. Let's get a little background. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Succoth in Judea. They pitched camp at Ephesdanim between Succoth and Azkoth. 
Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another, with a valley in between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. He was six feet, six cubits and a span tall. Now, back in David's time, the average man was a little bit shorter than me, and I'm, I'm no giant. About five foot three, six cubits in a span. How tall is that? Kind of hard to imagine. A cubit is about a foot and a half. So you do the math. Goliath is over nine and a half feet tall. Still a little hard to imagine. What, how, how do you put that into your brain? Well, let's try this. This is not nine and a half feet tall. This is eight feet tall. Now imagine a shoulder, a neck, and a head above that. And I'm taller than the average Israelite soldier. This is a really big guy. <laughs> now, I had a friend of mine in high school who was six foot 11. I had to stand two steps up on the stairwell to have a face to face conversation with him. And that's just six foot 11. Robert Wadlow. was a documented giant. When he died in 1940, at the age of 22, he was still growing. He was 8 foot 11. This Goliath is an intimidating man. Now, how does this, just, just height alone, but how does this relate in battle? Average man's arm length is half their height. I know I've got little short T-Rex arms, but... David is about five foot tall. So his arms are about two and a half feet long. Goliath, his arms are five feet. His arms are about as long as David is tall. Who do you think is going to have an advantage in a sword fight? And his armor is equally intimidating. Let's read on. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. That's roughly 168 pounds. Now, I'm about 180. So imagine, if you will, you know, some, a, a weight a little bit lighter than me but you're going to strap me on your back and run into battle. Okay? That's a lot, and that's just his, his coat of armor. The, and let's continue going. On his legs he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. That's over 25 pounds. 
So imagine throwing something with a spearhead heavier than the typical bowling ball. And you're throwing that. And his shield bearer went ahead of him. Remember that detail. We'll return to that in tonight's lesson. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. One man to represent each army and determine the outcome of the entire battle. That's Goliath's challenge. And after listening to this, Saul and all of Israel are terrified. And if we go down to verse 16... For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So every day, for over a month, Goliath comes out in the morning and issues this challenge. He comes out in the evening and issues the same challenge. 40 days. And Saul and his army do nothing. They just stand there and quake in their armor. Goliath's words had effectively and completely paralyzed the army. Which army is this? This is the army of God's people. And he did this for over a month. And if we don't remember that, it's kind of strange that Jesse would say to his son, hey, take this, verse 17, take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Why would he do that? Because they've been out there for over a month with nothing going on. You're supposed to go out to a battle, have the battle, and then come back. So Jesse's at home going, where are my boys? What's going on? We haven't heard a thing. Did they win? Did they lose? What's going on? What's going on is nothing's going on. Saul and his army are paralyzed with fear. So, let's drop down to verse 20. David does what his father tells him to do. And notice how responsible David is in the way he executes this. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd because he was in charge of his father's sheep. So, Make sure that they have a shepherd in charge of them. Loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Rah, rah. Yeah, you're doing nothing, guys. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. Philistines on one mountaintop, the Israelis on another mountaintop, valley in between, Goliath comes down. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, the, the, the food that his father had sent for his brothers, 
and ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Goth, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. So notice how responsible David is. He makes sure the sheep are taken care of. He makes sure that the food that he brought for his brothers is taken care of and put with the keeper of the baggage of the army, which is a very responsible and trustworthy position. And only then does he go and try to find his brothers to find out what's going on with them. And that's when David hears Goliath. Now, the is verse 25. Notice how different David's reaction is to the entire Israelite army. They're running away, scared. They've done this for 40 days. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He'll also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, instead of running away in fear, this is what David does. What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? He's the only one that has this attitude. Notice what the entire army of Israel has been hearing. Hey, look, you volunteer to go out and kill this guy. And I'm going to give you lots of money. I'm going, to make you, I'm going to give you my daughter in marriage. And your family is never going to have to pay taxes. Taxes part alone would be good, right? But nobody takes Saul up on that offer for 40 days. David comes from his family, from keeping the sheep. And he goes, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. What did you say? is going to happen to the guy who kills this Philistine, removes the disgrace from Israel, and focuses the attention on the living God. And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. David focuses not on Goliath's words, but on the positive. He focuses on the opportunity. He focuses on removing the stain on Jehovah's name. In effect, David is saying, this is the promise that you all have been hearing for 40 days, but you're choosing to listen to this uncircumcised Philistine instead? We are the armies of God, people, the true and living God, not the pantheon of gods that this guy believes in. Why would you listen to him? So this filters back to Saul. So, verse 31. Saul, so, they send, Saul says, hey, I heard about this, go get this guy. Saul doesn't know who it is. He just heard somebody is saying this. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. 
David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been fighting men from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So basically, once Saul gets a look at David, he goes, what, are you kidding me? You're kidding me, right? You can't do this. David doesn't listen to Saul's words either. But instead, he relates his own success, his own experience in battle, not against man, but against a lion and a bear. How many of you have seen bears up in the Smoky Mountains, something like that? Do you want to go up against one of those? Have you seen the claws on that thing? I went to Alaska for work one time, and they had a stuffed polar bear in the lobby. That thing had claws that long. Not the, not the hand, the claws on the paw were that long. And David prevailed over a bear and a lion because God had delivered him. And David's attitude is, this Philistine's going to be just the same because he's not on God's side. So, let's take... See, David expects success not because of his own talents, but because Goliath has made God his enemy, not just Saul's army. So, starting in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. Now, remember this. Saul was selected as king, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, because he was a head taller than everybody else in Israel. So Saul's about six foot tall. How do you think his armor is going to fit on five foot David? David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Saul tries to use his own wisdom again to prepare David, but David chooses to go with what he knows. So what does David end up with to fight this giant of a man? A staff, a sling, and five stones and his reliance on God. So, verse 43. He comes out. Goliath, well, verse 42. He looked David over and saw he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? So remember, there are far way off, and David's coming at him with a staff. 
And that's what Goliath sees. What, am, am I a dog that you're going to beat me with a stick? Are you nuts? Is that what you think of me? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So Goliath insults David, which David ignores. And then he promises to insult David's body. And then David reveals his true weapon. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. David promises to cut Goliath's head off. What does he have as his weapons? A staff, a sling, and five stones. How's he going to pull that off? David promises to defile the bodies of the entire Philistine army for the purpose of bringing God glory before the entire earth, as well as before the scared army of Saul. And as we know, David's prophecy is fulfilled. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down to the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. So David fulfilled that prophecy completely. So what are the real lessons we can learn? This is not a story about the underdog beating the favorite. The world sees David as the underdog, but was he really? He has experience killing a lion and a bear. The story is really about what voices we listen to. It's about not fighting spiritual battles using worldly thinking. We don't have to play their game. Goliath expected and challenged some man to come out and fight him sword to sword. That's impossible. He's got a five-foot reach. David didn't play his game. Never planned on playing his game. Remember James chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Turn with me there. James 1. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like sifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through what? The word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. We need to focus on the truth. Saul looked the part, but there's always somebody bigger, badder, meaner. But who's bigger than God? So what is this about? First of all, it's about David's attitude. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? 
See, Saul thought Goliath was too big to fight. David thought he was too big to miss. And David had a reliance on God for his success, on God to provide the outcome. As the world looked at it, there was no way a boy like David could defeat a seasoned warrior who was much bigger and stronger than he was. But David trusted that just as God had delivered him from that lion and that bear, he would deliver him against this Philistine as well. He had no sword, but he relied on God to provide the ability to cut Goliath's head off. And he lifted it up to show both armies what the result was. And as a result of that, the Philistine army fled, and the army of Israel had a great victory that day. What David did is he focused on the talents that God had given him. Goliath was armed with a huge javelin, fearsome long-range weapon. Do you know what the average distance of a javelin throw is? A warrior could hurl, on average, a javelin about 71 yards. So let's imagine you're at Neyland Stadium. You put Goliath at the end of the end zone. He can throw that javelin to about the opposing team's 40-yard line. The record is 107 yards. So if... Goliath was that strong and he could throw that javelin a world record distance, it still would not hit the opposing team's goal line. It would fall about three yards short. David, on the other hand, had a sling. Studies have shown that a trained slingshotter could hurl a a stone 130 yards. That means while Goliath is standing at the end of one end zone, David can be 10 yards behind the end of the other end zone and hit Goliath with accuracy. That 130 yards is hitting a target smaller than a human. And this was a big target. David had a battle plan based on his experience and the talents that God had given him. And one other note. That stone would be flying at about 100 miles an hour and have the stopping force of a 44 Magnum. So even Goliath's bronze helmet was no protection. And David was prepared. He took five stones. You ever wonder why David took five stones? Goliath had three sons and a brother. And they were all giants. And finally, David expected to win. So Hebrews 11 wants us to learn about David's attitude, his reliance on God, his focus on the positive of what God had already supplied him, his preparation for and expectation of success. It's like the song says, the voice of truth tells me a different story. The voice of truth tells me, do not be afraid. And the voice of truth says, this is for my glory. Out of all the voices calling out to me, I will choose to listen and believe the voice of truth. So let's remember that as we go through this day and every day. Let's be careful of what we listen to. Let's be careful to listen to the voice of truth. If you need to do that this morning, we're ready to receive you. If you have never put on Christ, 
the opportunity is available to you. If you have put on Christ, but you've started listening to those other voices, why don't you come forward as we stand together and sing?